It is the Cam and Joe Show. So glad you could join us this afternoon as we jump once again into our series, Body Beautiful. We're having a look at the impact of our mental health and our body image because this is such a big issue, Joe, as yes. we've already unpacked through uh, the voices that we heard last week on the show. This is a very real and very relevant in, uh, topic, which conversations like these need to be happened more often. Yeah, so we have a very, very special guest to just unpack other elements of what it is to, you know, in a world where everything is unreal, we want to keep it real. Yep. And we have Tracy Bradley. That's it. Tracy works as a professional hair and makeup artist, but there is so much more to her story. Tracy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Cam. Thank you, Joe. It's so nice to be here. Let's start a little bit with your background, Trace. Tell us about uh, where you've come from and just how this and how your expertise really feeds into this series. Okay, so for the last uh, 33 or so years, I have worked in the space of being a hair and makeup artist, and that's taken me into lots of different industries. So not only have I worked in um, consultation with private clients and making them up for weddings and, you know, special occasions. Um, I've also worked in the world of fashion. In fact, I started um, my career in that space and I had a professional agent and, you know, was sort of sent out to all different jobs. So I worked on catwalk and I worked with magazine and print media and all different types of things like that. And obviously working with all different types of people, whether that be um, people who did modelling for a job or actors or entertainers. Um, I also have worked in the space of entertainment, some everything from body painting dancers to making up celebrities. Um, I've worked with different uh, networks, um, spent a big chunk of my um, career with Channel 9 mm. um, and other, um, you know, other networks and other productions. Um, I've worked in live production and I've had, um, yeah, pretty much every kind of job that you could have as a makeup artist. I've probably done it. So corporate, uh, all types of photo shoots, television commercials. Yeah, it's been a really big area of that type of work. Well, Tracy, with that expertise and that array of, you know, doing people's you know, personal, in their personal space with makeup and, and, you know, all things relating to, you know, the way that you look, then you're very much in the space of, you know, talking about body image, because I'm sure you've faced so many situations and witnessed healthy and very bad uh, forms of, you know, negative self-talk and body image. We're calling this episode The Makeup Chair, um, because that's who you are. But can you give us some examples of what you've seen and what you've heard and the unhealthy or healthy body image um, situations you've experienced. Yeah, well, Joe, I think like everyone can relate, um, especially if, I mean, if they've never had someone do personally their hair or makeup, um, uh, a lot of people have been to a hairdresser. So we know what that space is like, mm. um, and, but it's usually in a salon and there's a lot of other people around and, you know, so it can have a very different dynamic. Um, a lot of the time when I make up people, it's very one-on-one. -on -one. So it's them in the chair. It's me standing in front of them. Of course, I get very close. Mm -hmm. um, I'm touching them. Yeah. Um, and that can trigger people into, uh, their, firstly, their insecurities. Second of all, it can be very hard for people to feel that vulnerability mm -hmm. because being vulnerable can be very uncomfortable. Um, and so if, if 
people do have particular insecurities about certain things to do with their appearance, um, they can be triggered immediately and they can come out. So I've witnessed people and it, it's, it's more often than not um, that someone will start to pick on something. So they'll make an excuse, oh, I'm so sorry, I've got a pimple. Mm. Or, um, you know, like I, I've got such large pores and I want to cover them. Or I've got droopy eyelids or I've got, you know, receding hairline. Or, I mean, it's an endless list of mm. things um, that we pick. And it, look, it's it's unfortunate in a way that that becomes people's focus. I try to actually take people away from their appearance focus and I go further Mm. than that. So I don't actually make comments to people about what they look like. I usually focus on who they are or their genuine care or, you know, they Mm. might say something and that will be my focus rather than focusing on their appearance-related issues. Uh, because if I, you know, I've experienced that if we we tend to focus on something that's um, that that can feel so negative to somebody, it actually makes the problem bigger. Mm. Um, so rather than than focusing on the problem, we're focusing on something like an outcome or a solution or something that's completely opposite to how they're feeling, mm. um, just to lift them and to help them feel comfortable in the space because it can be very uncomfortable for people this may be the wrong way to ask the question but it's the way that it forms in my mind so i'm just going to speak it out but when it comes to a client that sits in the chair and you're about to start your amazing work how quickly does the conversation turn from covering up a negative as opposed to highlighting a positive, if that makes sense. If you wanted to highlight a feature of this particular person, which is incredible and amazing, as opposed to them just instantly going, as you've said, there's bags under my eyes, this is a little bit wrinkly, that's a little bit whatever, but highlighting the positives rather than covering up the negatives. Well, there's a lot I could say in response to that, Cam. Uh, The first thing that comes to mind for me is that obviously over the years of doing this, I have gotten better at being aware of that. And and that awareness helps me to make people feel more comfortable. Um, When I was younger, you know, when I was in my um, late teens and I started doing this work um, from another background that I'd had and then into my early adult years, so in my early 20s, um, my approach to things would be very different to maybe what it is now 30-something mm. years on. Uh, and age and maturity is, yeah. you know, <laughs> something that um, we can't get when, uh, when we're that young. So my experience with things myself um, has grown due to my awareness of myself. So the way that I would handle a situation, um, you know, it can have very different outcomes for different people. Um, I've been in situations where um, someone just wants to really focus in on it. Uh, And because I'm aware of what they're focusing on, I can try and redirect the conversation um, away from that. Um, But I also see the value in validating somebody where they're at because Mm. there's no point in me trying to push someone out of a space that they're in if they're just not comfortable yet 
to go there. Um, but it really is, it'll be, you know, um, I won't say, oh my God, you've got such incredible eyes, mm. Joe. or I mm. mean, you have Joe. Um, but <laughs> I, rather than focusing on a feature, mm. I will listen to a conversation and I might highlight, oh, wow, that was really great awareness of you to think that way. Or, you know, how kind of you to do that particular thing that you did or so to try and highlight somebody's strengths in their character rather than focuses on, focus sorry, on what their weaknesses are within what they feel in their appearance. Mm. Um, and that can run very deep. Can I just pull back the veil a little bit? Uh, because I'm sure many listening will say, ask this question, Jo, um, and I will. Um, in, you know, the media, in the net TV networks, in productions, in dancing, and all those things that you said, how bad is, is body image? What do you see in this topic and the state of play as to where are people at with their view of themselves? Yeah, this is, um, this is quite a large uh, topic. Um, I'll start with what my first impressions were. I remember getting a job in a network um, many years ago and my first initial idea in my head was, oh, you know, like to work in TV, people must be so confident. Um, you know, they must feel so good about who they are because this is a really public space to work in. Well, I couldn't have been more wrong <laughs> about that. So what I've uncovered in my years of working in media slash entertainment is that some of those people are carrying the biggest um, body image issues. And I'm not just talking about, you know, their face and their facial face. It's their entire body. Uh, and so I would see that play out in the way that they might um, project that onto other people um, because... Most people don't sort of sit there and admit that they've got an issue around it. Um, rather, that's probably an undiscovered issue and they will talk um, more superficially. So it will be um, picking on other people. Um, so that's like a projection. Mm. Uh, it could be that they just, I mean, I've, I've had people sit in the makeup chair and literally look in the mirror and say how disgusting they are. Aww. And that's really it's it's hard to hear because I really feel that they're in a space of um, pain and uncomfortability mm. but there's really you know it's it's not my role um, to guide them through that um, but I do observe it mm. uh, I have seen people suffer with eating disorders um, due to their public appearances um, and how that makes them feel mm. and it's this whole living up to this standard of what they think society wants them to be now that, that is a completely self-perpetuating cycle too because it's not just society. It's us as individuals, but it's also corporations mm. because there are corporations that will just put certain people on air due to how they look. Yeah. Um, it's not inclusive. The world is changing very, very, very slowly. Um, the world is changing. But in terms of what that expectation is that we should look like, I know that there's a lot of... Um, patriarchy behind that uh, and that there's a lot of men making decisions about what women should look like on air 
um, which is completely unjust and unfair. Um, and of course, those women want to keep their jobs. And so they buy into that whole, well, this is how it's got to be. And then they start to just believe that mm. belief system runs continually and so deep mm. um, that it's almost like they're trapped in it. Yeah. yeah. Our guest is Tracy Bradley. She's worked for a lot of her career as a professional hair and makeup artist, if you've just tuned in. For yourself personally, Tracy, let's talk about this from your own personal experience how have you worked through your life to have a positive self-image of yourself well <laughs> good parenting <laughs> I think is where it starts so I have um you know my my dear mother who's who's still alive uh she wasn't a mother who was really into that whole thing but I do have to say that generations have changed so my mother's generation was not really into you know how do we look and I mean they were just happy to be clean and to be dressed and have a roof over their head and to be fed um and and very grateful for that um, I began um, doing ballet when I was four years old. And so that was a really new world for my mum because she had to do my hair and put a bit of yeah. makeup on me. And, you know, she, she'd um, obviously done those things to herself too mm. growing up, but she'd never been obsessed with that type of stuff. So here I am at the age of four starting to do dancing. And um, I danced right up until the age of 19. Um, and was very, very into that world. And, you know, I was going to be a professional ballerina. <laughs> so I did see from that perspective, and it, it's, it's not so much that I was aware of it then, it's what I've become aware of now looking back. So when I was a child dancing, I was not worried about what I looked like or how thin I was or whether I could fit into a tutu or, you know, in any of that sort of stuff. But I do know that there were people who were very, um, who had issues around yeah. that sort of stuff and, and being um, on the stage. And, you know, I, I'm sure those people pushed through those. Um, fast forward sort of into then my teen years when your body image do does become more of a thing that you do, you think about. Um, and I became aware of the fact that to be a professional ballerina, I had to be a certain size. Now, just genetically, I was built in the right proportion. Um, and so that would have furthered my career had I have wanted to take it further. So, you know, I didn't have big boobs. <laughs> the, you know, I was in proportion to yeah. my height and all that sort of stuff that um, was really taken very seriously. And um, I was really just more interested in the fact that I was dancing. I wasn't really thinking about what I, what I look like. Mm. However, when I started high school, um, I did feel really out of my comfort zone. And so I did start to develop some, some image issues, not so much about what size I was or anything like that, but because I was very underdeveloped. 
And so a lot of my friends in high school, you know, they were already more developed than me. They were taller than me. They seemed more mature than me. Um, And so I kind of felt like I didn't fit in. Mm. Um, And also I had very different ideas about things in the world then. And I was trying so hard to fit in and be like everybody else, which is very common for teenagers. We just want to belong. Um, that I wasn't able to actually see that maybe some of the things that made me different were really my strengths. So we go through high school and, you know, we deal with, I did have, um, some bullying. Um, the bullying was not around what I looked like. Um, the bullying was more around, um, how I spoke and what I said, um, cause I was a bit outspoken. <laughs> um, and so, you know, maturity has helped me guide my my voice and my language. Mm. Um, but I really did get a very hard time around it. And I also stuck up for a lot of people. And that also crucified me um, because I was out there trying to make other people feel better and, and make, you know, and stick up for the underdog yeah. as, as such um, because I felt like that. Um, but that also made things worse for me. So there was a point in my life where I kind of re- I went very introvert. I didn't say much. Um, I hung back. But in, in doing that, I actually got a really good observation of what was going on around me to be more quiet. Um, then, of course, I left high school and I'd started working. I was still dancing and I started um, sort of working in the field of hair and makeup because I'd always done hair and makeup as a dancer. So I'd learned how to do those things. And I'd sat, you know, every Saturday between all my ballet classes, I'd sit, someone would come up and go, can you braid my hair? <laughs> and I'd start, you know, doing people's hair and 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 realize that you know oh they felt really good because I, I was um, doing something for them, um, and then I was working in that field. I also uh, started to do um, I was doing a little bit of modeling myself, um, and that actually went into the acting world. So I did do some acting, but it was theater. Uh, I did a few extras stuff on, you know, walked in the background of a few TV (laughs) shows. Um, So I was kind of in this world of where it was all about everything that everyone looked like. And I was taking in a lot, like I was observing a lot and I was also experiencing a lot in the, in that space. Um, I was singing in a band for a while. So there was a lot of stuff about me being on a stage, which I was confident to do. But at the same time, I was sort of thinking, I started thinking about what I looked like. And like, and that was not until my early 20s and really thinking about it. And oh, I'm working in this world where I'm just making people look good. And when you're trained as a makeup artist, I don't know what it's like now when you learn, but when I studied and I was trained as a makeup artist, you were trained to do corrective makeup. Now, corrective makeup is fixing things that are maybe considered not quite right on a person's face. So it might, and no one is symmetrical, let me tell you. Your (laughs) left side of your face is completely different to your right. So it was all about making everybody look perfect. All this idea of what this perfect face, all this perfect whole image, like everything from head to toe. Um, And I actually started to think, well, that's not very inclusive because 
what about people who were born with um, a facial disfigurement or what about people who were born with a physical disability or even an intellectual disability that can, you know, have effects on facial features? Um, and I was like, oh, I, I was really questioning the world that I was working in suddenly and I started to feel really uncomfortable. That led me to feel very intimidated in some situations. Um, you know, I was working with celebrities and people who were from overseas and, you know, they're more intense about what they look like. So there was a lot of things adding adding to this. Mm. Um, in my early 20s, I had a car accident and the car accident was very severe. Um, I was on my own. I remember crashing. I went off the edge of a, um, a road. I hit the ground on a 10 foot um, embankment. I nosedived the car. It flipped over. I woke up in the car, realized I was in a pretty bad situation. Um, your body does go into a fight or flight response very quickly. You go into survival mode. Um, so it's almost like I felt this surreal truth rise in me. Um, and for the first time in my life, I think I realized that that was the true me. That was my true nature. So I got myself out of the car. I climbed up this embankment. I don't know how, I don't mm. remember it. So I had, um, hit my head on the steering wheel. There were no airbags back then. <laughs> So I'd split my head open, I'd broken the orbital bone around my eye, um, I had fractured my sternum, I was cut from my shoulder to my hip by the seatbelt, and I had a lot of other, you know, cuts and um, bruises. Quite luckily, my car was a complete write-off and destroyed, um, but the space around me was kept. Wow. And I laid on the side of the road and I remember that experience so vividly that I was lying there thinking my face is destroyed, my body's, I don't know what's wrong with me, I think maybe I've broken my pelvis or I don't know, I could, was sort of doing this mental body scan of what was going on but I knew I was alive and I knew that I would be found because I, just, I was in the country, I was lying on the side of the road and I was waiting for someone to just drive by and find me. But in that moment, I almost set an intention that I would never focus on my appearance again, no matter what my outcomes were going to be. So I was like, okay, I might have lost my face. You know, like all I could feel was my whole face was numb. There was blood all over me. Um, and I thought that. That was probably it for that. So I set an intention in that moment mm. um, and that changed things moving forward for me. Wow. Incredible story, isn't it, Joey? Incredible story of just the journey to realise that your looks and, and your body aren't all that you are. They're a casing, they're a home for what is really your spirit, your character. And, you know, having that car accident... Um, you know, could be, you know, a way of actually finding your purpose. And so I love that you've got that perspective. Now, there's many listening that are parents. Um, maybe um, I just want to go back and say, 
you know, you spoke about your mum and the family of origin, the examples and the wounds you have and the, the you know, examples have power to, this all started because my daughter said to me, mum, you talk too much about your body and uh, you're projecting. Um, and I was like, no, I don't. And then it was an intervention. Um, what can we understand? What can you give to parents listening now about what you can do to change the cycle? Because my mum did that to me. She was always on a diet, always talking about her body. And I um, don't know about my grandmother, but we need to break some cycles here. We need to break cycles. You know, you talked about the entertainment industry. It's not just entertainment. It's the girl across the road who's 15, looking in the mirror, hating something about her nose. It's the mum who's going through menopause and the body's changing. It's, it's getting older and having wrinkles. It's everybody in different ways. How can we change and break cycles? It's all so true, Jo. Um, look, this is an enormous issue to unpack. And of course, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of psychology here and there's, mm. there's a lot of things that I am not the expert on. However, from my experience and my observation, I do look at the subtle cues and it might not just be the things that people say. It can just be the way that we do things and also the definitions that we put on things. You know, of course, I notice things like when people call foods good and bad. For me, food is nutrition. Um, you know, I, I, I knew someone who deprived their children of sugar growing up, you know, and kept banging on about it and how bad it was. Well, those children are now adults and they have issues with, with that. Um, and they, they can't stop themselves. Um, I see, uh, I've seen situations where I've, I've witnessed three and four year olds on YouTube watching makeup tutorials and um, and parents think it's cute and it's funny mm. and um, I don't believe that it is. I believe that children are children for such a short yeah. time in their life and there is so much in the adult world that needs to stay in the adult world mm. and that children of that age don't have the conscious ability, their minds and their egos are not developed enough to, uh, uh, to be able to view that content and then decipher what is right and wrong. Yeah. You know, I take my son um, swimming and I watch parents sitting there on their devices the entire time with little children and I watch little children watching the parents and I go, that's what they're learning to be. So we learn as children through the actions of others and it's not just the words we speak. Yes, you can, you know, I mean, the word diet is just, is thrown around in, in the most um, ridiculous ways. For me, the word diet is just that you, um, you eat. <laughs> uh, going on a diet you know I remember hearing that too as a kid we we had someone close to our family who was always on a diet um, <laughs> and you know and her children witnessed that too um, and they've sort of um, carried those wounds themselves and they've carried those issues so these they are systemic, definitely, and they do need to have someone with enough self-awareness. So from, from my view, it's about doing the inner work on yourself. 
If you are the prime example in somebody's life, you can't expect somebody to make changes if you're not living those values. Um, You know, we have to walk our talk. We absolutely have to. It's not about saying to someone, oh, don't eat that. And then, you know, at nine o'clock when the children have gone to bed, we eat that thing that we don't want them to eat, but we're feeling so bad about it. And, you know, the subconscious mind works in a very interesting way because it believes everything that is going in. Mm. And so when we get rattled up in our thoughts and we cannot escape our thoughts we believe everything that's tumbling through our head you know and our mind's just a thinking machine Mm. Um, and so we start to believe them and when you know we start naming the things that we do and defining them as good as and good and bad then we're we're sort of hooked into that whole guilt cycle as well and all of those things are incredibly powerful on our subconscious and so they play out in our lives I mean there's a lot of studies about subconscious linking to cells of the body and the way all that stuff works together Mm. um so for me I personally um my journey has been an inward journey because I believe that yes we are just encased in a body it is our spirit and it is you know our soul um and and who we really are is not what we look like at all it has nothing to do with it. We, we very much, um, and that's a really hard message to get across to people because I think until you've actually tapped into a part of you um, that can find that gentle softness and that beautiful presence um, within yourself that you can't escape the reality of what the outward world is. And then we do that whole thing. Well, we, we, we not only live in the outward world, we start to blame the outward world. Mm. And it's really about taking personal responsibility and, and accountability. And that's big for a lot of people. I love the analogy. There's, there's so much about what you've just said that I'm literally nodding my head about uh, the nutrition, the good, the bad food, the diets, the mindset around that. You're talking my jam. But in terms of the influence that we have on the others that are around us, and you've talked about that inner work that you've done on yourself as well. I keep on having this mental picture of when you're in the aeroplane, right? And you get told in the case of an emergency, make sure you affix the oxygen mask to yourself first and then start helping other people. You've really got to look after yourself first and then that starts to help other people in and of itself. We'll always be that example, but you'll be the best example if you're giving the best version of yourself. Absolutely, Cam. And I think that's where the inquiry comes in because it really isn't about going, oh, well, I'm, I feel so bad about doing that or I feel so bad or why can't I? And there's this trap because we can become victims very, very easily and we can become victims of our circumstances and of our lives and it really is about leaving that stuff behind. But that's all really easy to say to people. Um, it's, it's harder to do, but it is worth the journey 100% into that. And it really is about starting with a question, what can I do to live my best life? You know, what I, I was sitting in the green room out there and something like that came up on the TV screen and I'm like, that's exactly it. It really starts with the question. It can be as simple as writing it down on a piece of paper and then giving yourself the moment. It could be in the evening, just before you go to bed, 
sitting and and listening to that question, you know, there's a lot of stuff around around excuse me um, positive affirmation, and I don't believe that positive affirmation doesn't work. However, there is an example um, that I'd read in a study, um, and I'm going to equate it to appearance in this particular way. When we stand in front of the mirror and we're saying to ourselves, I am beautiful, I am beautiful, I am beautiful, I am beautiful. What the subconscious hears is I'm not, and so I have to convince myself that I am. (laughs) And this is the mysterious thing about how our minds work. So if we're continually focusing on the thing that we're so unhappy about, it doesn't matter how the focus comes. You know, it's about drawing ourselves away from the focus. So for me, um, I remember a couple of years ago starting a, um, a particular sort of personal healing journey. Um, and it probably started at the beginning of COVID <laughs> when I had stacks of Space. time. <laughs> yeah. And I actually started, um, I started meditating and I was doing this daily. And look, meditation is different for everybody um, and you can liken it to prayer. It really is about having the space where you can sit in stillness uh, and, and, and just focus on your body and how you're feeling. Your mind is going to rattle and that takes skill, you know, and it's not about stopping ourselves from thinking. It's about where we put our focus. And so for this particular exercise, I decided that one of my intentions that I would set was I choose the end result of living a radiantly healthy life. So that is my end result Mm. and that's the focus that I have. Now, funnily enough, when you set an intention like that and I see a lot of goal setting and intention setting that can feel like, my God, how am I ever going to get there? Like, how am I ever going to get there? But if you look at an Olympic athlete, you know, they have the dream of being the Olympic athlete. When they start the dream, they're not the Olympic athlete. (laughs) but They've got to start somewhere. Um, and so what ends up happening is when you, when you're, um, focusing on that intention and I use the word intention a lot, because if you break that word down, you've got in and then you've got tension. So imagine you're pulling a bow and arrow, right? And when you pull back that, that bow, your intention, there's tension on the bow and you've got to aim it somewhere. And if you don't aim it somewhere, then it's not going anywhere. It's not going to land. And that tension also starts to fuel the body and we feel tension and and tension is normal. And that anxiousness, that feeling, that's normal. That's the the part of us that um, propels us to go. So if you're out in the wilderness and you get chased by a tiger, that tension that rises, that's the will to act. And that's the will to flee. And so it, it goes into that fight or flight response and we can flee and we can fight or we can freeze. And so when we set an intention, it allows us to not freeze. It allows us to go somewhere and it's the somewhere rather than the nowhere that brings us um, the opportunities, you know. So suddenly we'll be like, ah. Oh, just for some reason today, I don't feel like doing that particular thing. Oh, I might go for a walk in nature. Mm. Or actually, you know, I think I'm going to um, 
do something really good for myself. Yeah, I might start a journaling practice or I might start a gratitude journal or, you know, I, I might find something that's going to add to that. I choose the end result of living a healthy life mm. because health is the most important thing. You know, when you're lying on your end of life bed, you're not worrying about what you look like. You're worrying about, well, you're not worrying about anything, but you'd be thinking about the people in your life, the ones that you loved, the ones that loved you back, the good things that you did, the kindness that you had around you. And I think that needs to be where the focus sits. Mm. So if someone was sitting in your makeup chair today and they're spinning around, they're vulnerable, they're facing you face to face, What's the one thing that you'd like to say to them? Someone listening now that's listening to your voice, they're in your makeup chair, what's one thing you want to leave them with? Show yourself some compassion. You know, really, we, the word compassion gets thrown around too, but it's very rarely directed to self. And we can be kind and compassionate to other people, but it starts with you. And it really has to start within I think that genuine kindness really does start with being genuinely kind to yourself and, you know, when to, to stop that language, you know, I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy, um, mm. I don't look like that person, um, you know, that self-compassion and, you know, and, and get off TikTok and social media and things that I'm not saying, you know, get them out of your life completely if, if, if it's in a really good space but you know those algorithms are absolutely designed to keep you in that spin and so we all know that you, if you start focusing on that one thing you're unhappy about it's really it's self-perpetuating um so yeah people really you know put put your hands on yourself give yourself a big hug <laughs> you know put yeah. your hands around your body give yourself time give yourself a space to sit with you with you know yes it's wonderful to be in tune with our bodies we really should be but in a really practical sense you know my legs are made for walking my arms are made for lifting you know we'll be grateful that we have them mm. because there's a lot of things that you know um are different for different people mm. and they know how to work with what they've got mm. yeah i Really appreciate the fact that you've talked about social media because that's what we're going to be talking about next week with regards to this whole series. So it's going to be the perfect bridge into the next component of this series. But thank you so much for being with us today, Tracy. Thank you for helping us unpack some. I mean, there's so much incredible depth in this conversation and so much wisdom and knowledge. And thank you so much for being here, Tracy Bradley. We appreciate your heaps. Thanks, Cam. And thanks, Joe.